Welcome back to another SMS podcast. Before I get into this week's podcast, I just wanted to uh, say huge thanks to everyone who listened to the first one. I got I got more listeners than I even expected, so appreciate that. I did get good feedback um, from a few audience members, and that was greatly appreciated. It definitely helped me along with the process and my thinking towards this podcast. Um, today's topic was interesting because I figured we all say and do things like, well, it'll be better explained during the episode, but we all have these, these familiar things we all do and say, but who really knows the origin of where these things come from or how they started? So I. I really wanted to look up a whole bunch of them and further explain them. And I found a lot of really neat things. So that's what today's uh, podcast is about. If you ever have any suggestions for me, um, please use the link tree. I have a Twitter there. You can directly DM me. And I also have a whole messaging situation you can go on and directly message me. It'll send me a notification and and send me an email and I definitely can respond or if it's a suggestion for the podcast definitely incorporate it so let's get into it the first thing I wanted to get into was more about sayings we say in our everyday lives like where our sayings come from. And I wanted to do sayings first because there's so many. And I can't even fit all of them into one podcast. But I definitely picked <laughs> the ones I either use the most more or just my favorite ones when I was looking up these. So the first saying we have is bite the bullet. Um, Usually it's used in a situation where... Like you just have to, you just have to do it. And this saying comes from the 18th or 19th century it is an expression originated from an outdated uh, practice for soldiers uh, back in the day to distract themselves from pain without any uh, numbing or anesthesia. Doctors used whatever they had and sometimes you just have to bite down on a bullet and and that's how you dealt with pain you just you just had to do it uh another thing that they used was belts but that's not where like that's not the expression it's it's bite down bite the bullet or bite yeah another saying is more referred to a an adult thing it's it's a shot like if you were to take a shot of whiskey or rum etc etc and this actually has a very interesting meaning or origin it's called a shot because back in midwestern cowboys days in the wild west the price of a shot of whiskey was equal to the price of one bullet and people would trade a bullet or one shot from a gun for getting a bit of whiskey which coined the name of it being called a shot, <laughs> which is 
always interesting to me when I I thought it was just because the shot glass kind of looked like a bullet if you look at like how it looks like a U. But no, it it literally means it used to be the price of one shot. The next um saying I have down is caught red-handed. And this is actually not even that surprising to me. Caught red-handed refers to a person who has blood on their hands after committing a crime. Clearly, this used to be a term when people were caught and brought down to the station. Um, They were literally caught red-handed. And... (laughs) You cannot prove your innocence that way. Uh, the next one is waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Um, I tend to do this a lot myself, even though I sleep the same way every single night. But this is a actual superstition that comes from Rome, the Romans. And it is believed that there are actual literal positive forces on the right side of the bed. But if you get out on the left side in the morning, there'll be bad energy surrounding you for the entirety of the day. So, there is an actual superstition. It's not just some hobo-jobo made-up crap. The next phrase is barking up the wrong tree. It comes from the 1800s, and this is a phrase um, hunters used to use while hunting with a pack of dogs. If the pack of dogs or dog was barking up a tree um, and there was nothing in it, like uh, for the hunter to shoot, it's either that they were barking up the wrong tree or whatever they were barking at or hunting, ran away. So that's where barking up the wrong tree comes from. This next one is probably one of my uh, most favorite. Um, and it's, it's cool. Um, you use this one to in situations where you want to find common ground, you want to you have an issue, but you want to get over it and make amends with a person. It's, it's to bury the hatchet. This is a saying from the Native American origin. This is when two tribes decided to settle their own issues or beef or war, whatever they had, and wanted to be peaceful with one another. So what would happen was the chief of each tribe would bury a hatchet in the ground to literally signify that they were okay. And the saying is a literal, like, to bury the hatchet. And it says what it means. The next one is used when you want to... Or when you're... I usually say it when you're calling someone out, like... Oh, uh, this is who you really are. Like, oh, to show your true colors. So what, where tr- showing your true colors come from is lowering colors on a ship. Yes, a ship. 
to hide your nation's flags was a strategic move. In ship battle, if you were to raise your flag after hiding it, you were showing your true colors. So what that basically said was, like, if you were hiding who you were during a battle and then afterwards you showed who you really were, you showed who you really were. Just another quote or another saying that's, it has truth behind it, but nowadays in modern variation has been changed. Kind of like our next one. Um, like an apple a day. This saying is first and earliest recording is 1866. And the original saying, which is pretty interesting, is eat an apple on going to bed and you'll keep the doctor from earning his bread. So even back in 1866, they called bread money or they literally meant bread as in like a, a trading bargaining system. But in 1913, um, a woman by Elizabeth Wright recorded a different version. And honestly, this has to be a different language. So if I completely botch it, I, I don't know how to speak another language. So her different phrase was, ate a happle of war going to bed and you'll make the doctor beg his bread. No idea what, if that's actually English, but it definitely is like the first one. And I feel like we strive away from the actual modern day, but apparently this saying was taken and modeled into the more popular version that runs an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Which, how we went from a simple saying to a complicated saying to a simple saying, it's definitely weird. Oh, uh, okay. This saying is, <laughs> it's not a saying, it's more like a, a product or a situation. It's a baker's dozen, which is 13 of anything is a baker's dozen, when usually a dozen is just 12. A baker's dozen comes from the wild... Um, it's wildly believed that the in medieval times, when bakers were selling, they would sell an extra loaf to avoid being penalized for short-selling weight. Like, they didn't want to undersell people and get in trouble for that and f be cheap, so they would actually add more bread. They did this because apparently bakers could be fined, pillared, flogged and or flogged for selling underweight bread, which yeah, that makes sense. You either lose a little extra bread or you get one of those three punishments. I don't blame them. The last saying I have down is saved by the bell. Usually I heard this like if someone was taking their time, but something else came like, oh, like you got pulled over for speeding. But then on the cops walkie, they were like, oh, we got another emergency. You were saved by the bell. But this means um, this meaning is coming from a boxing term.
in the late 19th century when a boxer was losing or who's in danger of losing the fight or round, they could be saved by the bell, like the actual ding ding in a boxing match. And that and that marks the end of the round, not the end of the match. Excuse me. So it is another literal saying, but it has the mean but the meaning has changed. And and now oh wait. So yeah, those were all the sayings I have for this episode, and I'm gonna take a little break. The next uh, part of where things come from is not sayings, more of they are actions. So, um, for example, our first example actually is the bird, the middle finger, the most easiest way to get your point across without saying words. It is, uh, in modern terms, <laughs> not a nice thing to do, and what it means to put it in polite terms, it uh, it's a quote for saying, um, screw you. And when looking into this, I found that there was uh, not the, not, yeah, excuse me, it's not the most clear where it's from. So there's multiple origins. So the first place, there's only two. There's the first place I found is, the Greeks would use the middle finger um, in plays when they needed to gesture. Um, how do I put this uh, gently? Um, this, this would be used in place of a male part and would be put above the crotch in place, which would get their point across that way without exposing themselves. Which I thought was pretty interesting because this is all relating all the way back to ancient Greece with famous playwrights from their time. It's It was used more of, of a pun than anything. It was not offensive. It was just a pun to get their point across. So it was supposed to be something funny. The second place where the middle finger comes from is, is from a story. The story goes that English soldiers would wave their fingers at French soldiers who had threatened to cut off their their archers' fingers. And this would be, like, a sign of, like, disrespect because, like, oh, look, I have all my fingers. And they would, if the English were to, they would actually cut off one of their two first fingers, preventing them to be able to pull back the bow. And so this that's why they would weigh that would either one or or the other finger, but it was adopted into just being the middle finger, which is very interesting to me. Um how this became to America is a very interesting one. It started with it, uh, Italian immigrants coming to the U.S. in 1886, and this wasn't documented, documented, excuse me, before uh, 1886, but the first time it was ever photographed 
was actually during a baseball game by one of the pitchers from the Boston Beaters, and it was <laughs> the pitcher flipping the bird to the other team, the New York Giants, which that doesn't get more American than that, if you ask me. And yeah, like as soon as it came over here, it was photographed and used during a major league sporting event. Not major, maybe not major league, but a sporting event. Another thing that I felt that was interesting was how doves mean love. Like you always see how in movies, like they, like a love movie, when they get married, they're walking out of the church or wherever they're walking and a whole flock of doves fly off. I always thought, well, clearly you just caught those doves and either they've been recently captured or lived in captivity. So if they've just lived in captivity, why aren't you just killing the doves? So I felt like that was like kind of the opposite point of what doves should be used for or what marriage is like like you're releasing something I don't know but you just got married it was always confusing to me so I wanted to know why doves mean love and this is dating back 4,000 years and in Europe it was believed that releasing doves at weddings symbolizes blessings peace love and prosperity for that married couple um, again, I don't know how releasing something means peace, love, and prosperity. That's just the symbol doves mean. And I found this interesting because in Chinese culture, there's actually a regular, regularly practiced um, thing where birds are released after a marriage to ward off evil Yet it brings benefits for peace and longevity to the married couple. In today's modern terms, um, both of these, ha- both of these uh, from the Europeans and the Chinese have evolved to today. What wedding doves mean is it signifies the beginning of a new chapter and the new start of a journey. Which still no idea how birds and love and doves but don't know. Another one that made completely no sense and I was thinking of over the holiday season is kissing under the mistletoe. And I'll tell you what, this one definitely was very confusing because I had to reread it a whole bunch of times. So I did my best and this is what I have. (laughs) So if this doesn't make sense, uh, it's not going to make sense. On Google. Mistletoe was used by the Celts during sheep herding to increase fertility and create more offspring of sheep. They would use it as it was believed that if you were to feed the mistletoe, it was there would be more likely opportunity that the sheep would want to create offspring is is the belief. The belief is that mistletoe also has a mythic power that if it was hung indoors, it was to work, sorry, hung indoors, like actual door frames. It was to ward off evil spirits because mistletoe is just all powerful and all knowing, apparently. Even though it was used to fight off evil, 
and was also used for sheep love, people felt the need that they had to f- create a romantic gesture while being in the presence, which resulted in people kissing under the mistletoe. Uh, that one was, please go back and listen to that because that one is just a wild one. And now every time you hang the mistletoe at Christmas time or the holiday season, just think about sheep and how sheep used to eat mistletoe for creating more sheep. (laughs) Uh, The second to the last thing I have down is a pinky swear. Yes, the childhood promise, the the all-powerful swearing, um, the all-powerful promising. Actually has a crazy um, origin story too. This is originally from I don't know which what their name is, but a Japanese mafia. This was a secret thing they used to do when trying to keep an oath or a promise to one another, and they would lock pinkies because while promising and locking pinkies, it was a symbol as if they ever broke the oath. Or or promised that they would have to remove that pinky they promised with. So next time you make a pinky promise, ask yourself, is this pinky that important? Is it worth breaking the promise? Nine times out of ten, it's not worth it. Um, also, I guess you could only make two pinky promises if you were a part of that Japanese mafia. Just food for thought, I guess. The last action I have is the peace sign. Now, I'm going to be talking about um, two peace signs and then a little extra tidbit. The first peace sign I'm talking about is, like, the one you see, like, for peace. Like, um, not the hand gesture, but, like, the symbol. The symbol is iconic because of the 70s and, like, the hippies movement, but it actually dates back to 1958 to a British campaign for nuclear disarmament. It was actually a British thing and not an American thing, which was very shocking to me. The symbol looks like a chicken foot and a circle because it is said that the vertical line in the center represents the flag of a sephamore signal for the letter D and the downward line on either side represents the cephalmore signal for N. So D for disarmament N for nuclear. A cephalmore is like the cephalmore alphabet or like, yeah, I guess this is an alphabet. Cephalmore signs. How about that? Is used actually in sailing to send clear signs and communications through a long distance. So, which was interesting because the British campaign was using sailor signs for nuclear disarmament. Which is pretty funny because those they're three on completely unrelated things but brought together by oh gosh, there was the guy there was a guy who designed it. I forgot his name, my bad. But it's just, I never thought they, the 
the chicken foot inside the circle actually meant something. I just was always like, oh, it's the sign of peace. I don't know. The hand gesture for peace was actually a gesture of victory because it looks like a V through the Allied Nations during World War II. Now, if you put your hand up, it does look like a V, and they would, like, at the end of a battle, they would throw up the the V for victory. This is pretty interesting. Anti-war activists later adopted this as the symbol, symbol of peace, and is very known today as sign of peace, not victory. It was pretty interesting. The only other thing I had to add to this was actually something related to this, and I thought it meant peace. The Vulcan salute, if you have ever watched Star Trek or know anything about Star Trek, it is the same thing as the peace sign, or looks like it, but instead of two fingers, you use all four and the V's in the middle. I also thought that meant peace. Like, you always see, like, stupid aliens always doing this, and, like, we come in peace, like, they mean peace, but actually, the Vulcan salute is, looks like the peace sign, but obviously, not obviously, it's obviously from Star Trek, excuse me, but it doesn't actually mean peace, it's a greeting, so it's more of a hello, or like a handshake, which I thought was very, I didn't know that, because I've definitely seen Star Trek, and They definitely have, now that I think about it, don't, like, while they're leaving, give the Vulcan sign. They only do it while they're seeing each other. So it does make sense in hindsight, but, um, yeah, so for now, we're going to take a little break. And the last part of this, uh, where things come from, is... Something I've always wondered, not why, where it came from, but why does it happen? And in the UK, right? Hold on, let me just fact check. Yes, in the UK, at a place called, um, it is a place called Cooper's Hill. There is a competition where people gather every spring and they start at the top of this hill, correct? And they roll a huge wheel of cheese down and then the people try to chase the cheese. And I've always been confused and this... uh, this event happens every year in the spring, and it's been happening recordedly since 1826, but the origin is very debated on, <laughs> um, and it might even have, have had a purpose, like they believe that the wheel of cheese was rolled down because it would break off, and then it would have more things come to that hill and graze on that hill, to kill the overgrowth. There's so many different whatevers. But I just love the fact that this roll of cheese comes down at 70 miles an hour for over 200 yard course. 
with the hill having the steep of 50% grade. Which is crazy. Crazy vertical. People need ambulances afterwards. People break things, get concussed. But people freaking love doing it. I believe you win... Uh, not the cheese roll. Um, but you win a cheese roll. Uh, for winning. Um, there has been a guy who has won th- this uh, 22 different times. Mr. Chris Anderson. which is And he has won it the most amount of recorded times. So, just a little interesting thing to look up. Uh, I mean, spring is around the corner, kind of, sort of. Um, This doesn't say a specific date when this is usually held. It's held during some event in England in April. So, yeah, we have something to look forward to in April. And hopefully, I do believe they put this on TV. I mean, the whole race doesn't last that many minutes. It's only 200 yards down such a vertical hill. But yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed today's, or this week's, excuse me, podcast about where things come from. I felt like it was a very interesting topic. I I mean, I had a very good time looking up all these things and finding out where these places actually come from. I believe in the future... I'm going to do a weekly segment of where things come from just because there's so many different ones like different sayings, different traditions, different actions that we all do in our every, everyday life. And I just find it very fascinating that like places have an origin like you don't even know where it comes from. But once you do, it's pretty cool. Like I never knew what barking up the wrong tree meant until it literally meant a dog was barking up the wrong tree, which is pretty, pretty interesting to me. Um, obviously if you ever have any suggestions, comments, or feedbacks, please reach out using the link tree through Twitter or through the messaging. I don't know what it is. It sends me an email if you write a message. So email me. Um, if you're enjoying this, please rate, uh, uh, and yeah, that's the podcast. I uh, hope you're enjoying and thank you for listening. Yay!